Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. morning on this first day of June 2022. Um, some headline news this morning, harrowing details uh, emerging from the situation in, Laval- in Uvalde, uh, Texas. Just, you know, continue to have our hearts go out to and our prayers go up for those families and all concerned and all related. Um, the Associated Press is reporting this morning that U.S. consumer confidence edged lower in May as Americans' views of their present and future prospects dimmed in the midst of persistent inflation. So here's what I want to say about that. If your hope rises and falls with the inflation rate, um, you're standing on shifting sand. So the conference board said on Tuesday that its consumer confidence index dipped to 106.4 in May, which is just a meaningless number, right, unless you understand it in in a trend line. Um, because 106.4 is still a really strong reading, but it is down from, uh, from April and certainly down from, um, you know, highs in the past. So here's my question to what are you keying your expectations, um, for the future in terms of your confidence? Now I recognize this as a consumer confidence index, so you know, all we're measuring here is the confidence that we have in terms of our buying power. This is a consumer confidence index. But, you know, for those of us who like to get God back into the conversations of the day, there is an opportunity here to talk about, you know, what exactly is your hope anchored to? Like when you talk about how you feel about yourself in the present and how you feel about your prospects for the future, does that light grow dim because of you know, the rising and falling of inflation rates? I mean, if so, you're literally standing on shifting sand. You've literally built your house on shifting sand. The situation in Afghanistan is perilous for those of you who um, have maybe turned your attention to other things in the last eight months since the United States and our allies pulled out of Afghanistan. The country has utterly collapsed. The Taliban not only took over um But in the wake of the Taliban's takeover, the Afghan economy, um, I mean, literally, the the, the rug has been pulled out from under it. Um, The international funding that had been propping up the country's frail economy and government, you know, once that was cut off, um, you know, there's literally no liquidity in their market. So there's just no money moving around. The banking system is no longer functional. Cash is in short, short supply, as is food. The United Nations reported last month that nearly half of the Afghan population is facing acute hunger. Um, By some estimates of aid agencies, more than 120,000 children, just think about this number for a moment, more than 120,000 children have been bartered for some sort of financial incentive in the past eight months since the Taliban took over the nation of Afghanistan. 
So there's no question that we're living in desperate times across a range of concerns. There is famine. There is war. There are fires, natural disasters, um, opioid addiction, human trafficking, uh, loneliness, depression, suicide, abortion, cancer, self-harm, violence. These are just some of the headlines we might have covered this morning. The list is long. It's continuous. It continues to grow. We might be led to despair. We might also be some of those people living in relative prosperity. We might be the relative few. But it might be for a relatively short period of time. And so, I mean, you know, as short as an American election cycle. None of it, um, none of the solutions that are offered at a policy level are going to begin to address the underlying need because we need Jesus. We need Jesus, period, end of story, end of sentence. There really is hope for the world. He really is available to everyone, and his name is Jesus. And if your hope is built on anything or anyone less, then as the song says, your hope is built on shifting sand. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus as the solid rock. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Yes, uh, even uh, the relatively vibrant economy of which I am privileged to live. Jeff Bilbro concerns himself not only with uh, the education of the young at Grove City College, but with how the media delivers information to each and every one of us. Jeff is also concerned with our connection to the earth itself, growing cycles and farming and food. And we're going to um, we're just going to draw with Jeff from a thing we call the water dipper. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. looking over Jeff Bilbro's shoulder to see what he's reading. And one of the places where he aggregates that reading list for us is at something called The Water Dipper. It is at frontporchrepublic.com. You can also find him at jeffbilbro.com. Jeff, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning. So um, I'm reading over your shoulder this morning, and I'm reading this piece by um, Paul Kings North, and I'm going to invite you to remind us who he is and then talk a little bit about what progress wants. Yeah, Paul Kings North is a quite an interesting guy. He converted to to Christianity, I guess, maybe two years ago now, but he is a former environmental activist and uh, a writer in in the UK. He now lives in Ireland. And he's been writing really perceptively both fiction and nonfiction essays about I guess our spiritual and technological uh, diseases of our uh, of our culture today, and this latest essay of his just kind of uh, unpacks a series of answers to that question you named: what progress wants. And I think he offers some pretty disturbing, but also perceptive answers uh, to that question. Kind of, kind of not to steal a thunder, but kind of ending with this idea that. Ultimately, um, it leads to the, the obsolescence of human persons and uh, creation and our fallible, fallible selves. Instead of the Christian story in which we get redeemed by Christ, progress wants to uh, replace us with things that are new and improved. 
So when we talk about progress, I mean, in a nutshell, what what are we talking about? Because I would look at the status of things in the world and I would say clearly at the at the moral level, at the at the most human of levels, things are not getting progressively better. Like progress is not working or if it's working, it's it's working for a very, very relatively small percentage of the population. So what is progress? Yeah, well, I think Kings North would agree with you there. Uh, but it's that whole narrative that as our uh, technological capabilities improve, uh, our civilization, our culture, ourselves can also be improved. But I think, as you say, you know, Christians should be pretty skeptical of that kind of narrative. And yet it can be really, I don't know, tempting, insidious to to fall into that. You know, when our iPhones get better every two years and uh, other kinds of technologies improve, we can kind of start to take for granted that everything should be improving. Yeah. So um, he he shares this, all of this sort of in the context of a conversation um, that he's having with a friend. And the friend says sometimes, and they're sitting at like a, you know, like a little fire a little fire pit. He says, sometimes uh, I feel like I'm living in 1913, like we're on the brink of something, but it hasn't quite arrived yet. Okay. I got to tell you, I have a lot of people who have made a similar observation. We not, we might not have been looking into a fire, but we might have been watching a sunset. You know, those, there's these moments in time when for whatever reason, there's a, there's the invitation to a particular level of reflection and people, including myself, feel like we're on the brink of something, like there's a chapter fold coming, like a major shift. Um, uh, you know, I, I, some have described it like as the tsunami that's just over the edge of the horizon. You know, others uh, others have described it in other ways. I mean, do you feel this? Like, are you feeling this? Oh, man, Carmen, I don't know. It's yes. But I also I also want to keep in mind that people in other ages have felt that, too. Mm-hmm. It's hard. I don't want to be overly apocalyptic, but yeah, it does feel like we're in a very unsettled time, and a lot of the the sort of categories and institutions and ways of life that we have taken for granted are shifting, and it's it's kind of uh, unsettling, I suppose, to know or to imagine what they might be replaced by. So it does seem like we're in a kind of inflection point. Yeah. Mm. All right, apocalyptic. Maybe that uh, you want to make that the word of the day. Maybe you want to write that down. It describes um, or prophesies the destruction of the world, resembling you know the end of the world, something momentous or catastrophic. Maybe um, we're not in a time that's apocalyptic, but maybe we are in one of those creases in history where yeah. you know things change in really dramatic ways. We're going to continue our conversation with Jeff Bilbro in just a moment. We're dipping this morning into something we call. The Water Dipper, you can find it at FrontPorchRepublic.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Continuing our conversation with Jeff Bilbro, I'm kind of like looking over his shoulder this morning at what he's reading um, as we seek to read the culture uh, and the times in which we live and apply the mind of Christ to these days, Reformation in the Church of Science is a an article that we're going to look at next. It's from the New Atlantis. It feels like the point made here, um, Jeff, is that we're always establishing our understanding of the truth on something. 
Um, and so how has that something shifted? Um, and maybe that's going to help us better understand why we believe what we believe in this generation and why we think the way we think. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it, that um, maybe in the past uh, we have kind of taken for granted as objective uh, certain ways of arriving at and uh, disseminating the truth. But those were always, um, you know, that they were they were historically uh, shaped and they weren't eternal. And so, you know, they, one of the arguments they begin with is this idea that uh, people sometimes think fake news or misinformation is a uh, kind of perversion or an anomaly in our information society. And they say, well, uh, in many ways, that's just the, the, the natural result of a kind of, a kind of information abundance that we experience now. And, and the response to that is not to um, you know, pretend truth doesn't exist or that we can't know truth, but to uh, think more more critically, I guess, about what kinds of institutions or forms of communal conversation might uh, help us discern truth today. So if, you know, universities or governments played particular roles in the past, what what role should they play today? What kinds of other institutions or social networks should, should help us discern truth today? So I think it's a really um, sober and, uh, and, and perceptive essay uh, that's not trying to, to kind of pin fake news on the people we don't like, but trying to understand it as an ecosystem problem. Yeah, and when you say ecosystem, you're talking about an ecosystem of information, which used Correct. to be, there used to be these, just even a handful of institutions that basically had the authority to say, these are the things that are true. <laughs> And right. now everybody considers themselves an authority to say, you know, this is the truth and here I stand. I can do no other, but they're not standing <laughs> on anything. Right. right. I mean, that, that's that's yeah. OK. Yeah. So kind of an authority unto the self. Yep. And, and yeah. the previous iteration had problems and our current iteration has problems. You know, there's no perfect uh, system. We just have to learn to navigate the one that we're that we're planted in. Yeah. And I mean, I think recognizing, though, that we are in an information ecosystem, like actually taking Absolutely. time to reflect on that, that the yeah. way information is delivered and by whom is different now than it was for prior generations. And we need yeah. to recognize that is a different, you know, yeah. this is a different garden. Okay. Um, the meta positioning habit of mind. Now, let me just say that's a bit of a complex uh, <laughs> title, but this is an interesting um, conversation about sort of the digitization of where we are. Yeah, and this actually relates to the previous essay. I, I just think Mike Sacasas is such a great essayist today about technology and yeah, the digital ecosystem. And in this piece, he identifies and kind of names uh, a feature of many conversations I've been a part of, where it seems like people are more interested not in discerning truth or trying to figure out what uh, is right about a particular situation. But making sure that they're not lumped in with a group of people who they might agree with, but whom they dislike, and so we're, you know, we're we're more interested in saying, well, I'm not like those people over there. Um, I'm not with that group, whether it's you know a religious group or a political group or a sociological group. Um, so I might agree with them on this issue, but I'm really anti them. 
and it leads to some really weird, you know, uh, gymnastics, mental, intellectual gymnastics, I guess, to, to try to differentiate ourselves. And it also, I guess, highlights the way that so much of how we think about the world is social, that we're, we're not these kind of rational agents discerning truth about particular things, but we're asking, what do people like me and people from the community that I'm part of think about this? And that's what I want to think. Uh, and that can, that's very human, but it can also lead us to, to take some strange positions, non-Christian positions. Yeah, I like to push. I mean, I, the the language is push. That's probably wrong. I like to invite people to go beyond whatever the talking points are. I generally know the talking points, and I can identify them when I hear them come out of someone's mouth or across someone's, you know, email or uh, or social media feed. And I, and I just like to respond back. So, um, you know, why do you think that? How did you arrive at that view? Because I'm trying to get beyond. I'm at least trying to get one layer beyond the talking point. And my observation is. There's just a lot of people who can't talk beyond, they can't share beyond the talking point that they have, you know, heard, received, and then are passing along as if it is their viewpoint. The other thing that I like to do is ask people, okay, so I've heard your criticisms of, let's say, a person who is pro-choice. I've heard your criticisms of, I mean, I understand why you would be opposed to that, but I want to know what you're for. Like, how are you positively advocating and working um, for the flourishing of all life and every life? I mean, it's one thing to argue that people should not have the right to do something um, that I find abhorrent. It's another thing to actually help them make a different choice, to help them um, live and flourish uh, and, and let's say, um, so. I, so maybe I'll just leave it there. So it's one thing to say, I, I'm opposed to that. It's another thing to proactively and positively say, I am for this and this is why. So, all yeah, right, Jeff, let's, um, right. let's jump in. Yeah, let's jump into this last um, Yuval Levin piece. We don't have much time to talk about it, but it's so good. How to curb the culture war. Yeah, maybe this is a positive response. We've kind of been on a theme this morning, um, but I think his, his, uh, invitation to us is just to say it's okay to not let politics or um, culture wars colonize every aspect of our lives, that we can be, um, you know, parents in one sphere, uh, athletes in one sphere. You know, he, he, his example is from Michael Jordan uh, refusing to politicize uh, his his athletic prowess. But I think in, a, in an age when uh, kind of totalizing politics is a, is a real threat. The invitation to be people and uh, to interact with people in different spheres and different capacities is a really healthy and important one. So yeah, it's a great essay, How to Curb the Culture War. When you say, um, you know, not allowing something to colonize, you're talking about giving up like mental, spiritual or intellectual real estate, like the real estate yeah. of my mind. I'm not going to I'm not going to give that up. I'm not going to allow that to be colonized. Um, and then the other term that you use that I, I would just like for you to unpack is the word totalizing. I think of Christianity as something that's supposed to be totalizing. It's not for a lot of people. But talk about um, the word totalizing and what you mean when you use it. Yeah, I, I, that's a good example because I think our faith should permeate every aspect of our lives, but probably nothing else should. So that uh, sometimes we go to church and we're more interested in 
you know, the, the socioeconomic connections we can make there or the politics of the people that we worship with or whatever. Um, and, and the inverse should be true, right? We should be uh, committed to our commonality as members of the body of Christ uh, and, and be okay with some differences in other aspects of our lives. And, and then when we enter into other spheres, to, to use Levin's term, uh, of our work or our recreation or our civic life, um, we shouldn't allow those spheres to, to take on that kind of meta-narrative role that, that our Christian faith does. Okay, and then something I think you know something about and I know almost nothing about, but I find it very intriguing. Um, and I don't think I get, to, I get to talk with you again um, before World Localization Day, which is coming on June the 21st, which will be, for those of us uh, in this hemisphere, the, the longest right. day of the year in terms of the hours of sunlight. So what is World Localization Day? What should we know about it? Yeah, so this is a group of folks, I think this is the third annual one they've done, and it's uh, just trying to have a, a set of celebrations around this idea of localization. And it's kind of um, uh, an, a motley group of people that, that might not share uh, obvious political interests, but who are united around this idea that our places deserve our attention and our, uh, our life and our energy. And so just encouraging people to find ways to economically and culturally uh, focus on our local places and, and to yeah, re-engage there and not live our lives uh, as, as is so easy now in a kind of digitally mediated uh, nowhere place. Jeff, um, we're going to allow you to take a summer vacation um, from us as well. And so we'll talk with you when you return from uh, from Wales, I think. Thank you so much for your contribution to the conversation this morning. And thank you for letting us look over your uh, over your shoulder, bringing us such good things to turn our attention to intellectually and spiritually and um, giving us great fodder for the conversations of the day. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Carmen. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. Likewise, you guys can find Jeff Bilbro at Jeff Bilbro, B-I-L-B-R-O dot com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Let's hear uh, let's hear a little bit from Max Lucado. All right, I have some prayer concerns to lift up um, uh, for us this morning as a community. So um, this came in. This morning from Carlene. Um, Carlene is asking us to pray with her for Sydney. Sydney is a 19-year-old college freshman in Madison, Wisconsin, and she was paralyzed in a farming accident over Easter weekend. Um, and so let us be praying for God's miraculous intervention and his sustaining grace for Sydney and her family, her friends. Um, just pray God's intervention in that family. Um we're praying for everyone directly and indirectly affected by the shooting at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas, last week. As funerals continue through this week, I want to lift up pastors. I want to lift up, you know, those ladies that work in the kitchen. I want to lift up the ladies that are putting the flowers together and the guys that are making and carrying the coffins and, um, you know, and digging the burial plots. I just want to be um, praying for first responders I'm going to continue prayers for those who are injured, who remain hospitalized with what we are now, you know, learning are going to be life-altering wounds. 
think of the grandparents, the aunts, the uncles, the cousins. Prayers arise for every person whose PTSD has been inflamed. Um, And for everybody whose news didn't make the news in the last week because our attention has been rightly focused on Uvalde. I'm thinking of graduations and weddings and achievements of every kind that were overshadowed by the grim realities of a culture of violence and death. And so, so many people to be praying for across so many fronts today and um, be praying for each other as well. Let's be praying today for the people of Ukraine. Russia's new offensive has uh, focused on the eastern and the southern portions of Ukraine. It has proven effective uh, the blockade of all shipments of wheat through Ukraine's only international seaports in the Black Sea um, is resulting in what Pope Francis is describing as, you know, the weaponization of food and that grain should not be used as a weapon of war. Many, many um, concerns across the world. So let's turn our attention to some international headlines with our friend Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Joining me now, Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find the headlines we're discussing today at missionnews.org. Ruth, welcome back. Good morning. How are you? Well, I am well. I am well. Summer has begun where I am. And so, um, you know, turning my attention to many summerish things. Um, How about you? I'm getting into the track season, so eventually, mm. as soon as uh, the kids finish the state finals this weekend, I'll be focusing on my own season. Awesome. Awesome. We'll be praying for health and endurance and um, opportunity. Injury-free. Um, injury-free. Yeah, injury-free. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I don't know, something about stretching your calf muscles. It just feels like what I'm supposed to say there. Um <laughs> Talk with us. Uh, Many of us will not recognize even the concept of a monsoon season, Um, but it's not quite monsoon season in Bangladesh, and yet there has already been uh, horrific flooding. Tell us what's going on there. You sort of have a twin crisis going on right now in Bangladesh and India, actually. Um, Northern Bangladesh actually saw its worst flooding in two decades. So they've had massive rainstorms that have just dumped on the country in addition to the heat crisis. So uh, you may have heard that uh, parts of India and Pakistan were under a heat wave. Well, that also affected northern Bangladesh. So you've got the heat with the wet, and now you have all of these other issues as well. The rain is uh, has subsided for now, but it's forced 90,000 people into the shelters, 270 camps set up for people to, to uh, just kind of live until the water recedes and they can see what kind of damage has actually been done. The issue is that uh, there are 400 miles of strategic highways in that country, that part of the country, that are still underwater. So transportation is out. Um, you have roads that are completely destroyed. It, it makes it tough for the first responders to get to people. Um, now you have a risk because of the standing water of waterborne diseases, uh, drowning and malnutrition because the, the farmlands are underwater. Um, these are issues that are going to be long standing. And we, t- we spoke to a partner who is working in Bangladesh. FMI has a network of partnerships there. Uh, Pastor Paybach works in an area near the flooded city of Silat. So it's like where the worst of the flooding has, has hit. And uh, he's coming out of the mountains to kind of help people who are in need at this point. I mean, there are so many people in need who need just the basics to survive into the next day, into the next day, into the next week even. And so he's uh, uh, mobilizing the church network 
that he oversees to try to meet some of these physical needs in the name of Christ. Now, you got to remember that Bangladesh is the world's third largest Muslim country in the world. So the gospel has been present. It has been introduced, but it hasn't always been received with uh, a, a warm welcome. And this is a situation where the body of Christ is kind of speaking into the situation and just meeting needs in the name of Christ, a cup of cold water in Jesus's name. Um, and they're not going more than that unless people have questions. So what they're praying for, what they're asking us to pray for is that God would move through the disaster and in, in, despite of, uh, in spite of the disaster, um, that there would be open doors. Um, a lot of the people that Pastor Paybox serves are day laborers on tea plantations. So those folks have actually lost their livelihoods because the farmlands have been destroyed. Um, there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of um, a logistical planning because of what's going to be happening in, days, in the days ahead. Please join us in praying for this pastor, for this network, for the country, and for the opportunities that God is going to make uh, to make his name known. Take us um, to Ukraine. Uh, this is the story of a pastor who was abducted on May the 17th. So this is, um, you know, something that we're just learning about now. Um, talk with us about what's going on there, Ruth. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of information. And because we don't have a lot of information, that is cause for concern. Um, we got this information through a Voice of the Martyrs partner. Pastor uh, Alexander Selfetnikov was abducted by Russian soldiers May 17th in Kharkiv. Um, he was one of uh, just a handful of pastors who were staying in the region as it was being shelled because he wanted to help those who weren't, weren't able to flee. Um, he decided that he was going to be uh, the light of Christ in a very dangerous situation. And that was uh, appreciated by the folks who were were trapped in Kharkiv. But then he was abducted by Russian troops and he was injured in captivity. We don't know much more than that. We don't know how severe the injuries are or if he's received medical detention, uh, attention while he's been um, in uh, custody. We don't really know anything. Uh, about where his location is. We don't know where his family is. Um, so what we're being asked to do is to join the body of Christ in praying for uh, Pastor Selfetnikov um, that he would be released, um, that he would be bold in captivity. Um, we're thinking of, you know, the opportunities that Paul took while he was in jail and in and, and, and taking the gospel to the jailers. Um, be praying that uh, the situation uh, in in this in specific to Kharkiv settles down a little bit. Um, there's just a lot to be considering when we're looking at this situation, um, and and we're hearing that this may not be an isolated case. So, um, mm -hmm. just be praying for the believers that they remain bold in their faith and that um, they will choose the opportunities they have to make Christ's name central. Let's uh, let's do that right now, Father. We come before you, recognizing that. Um, the things that are unknown to us are not unknown to you. So you see this brother in Christ um, right where he is right now. Um, you see this precious uh, Alexander. And we ask, Father, that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, make yourself known to him right now, that you would be present with him in a way that is comforting and encouraging and reassuring, empowering, um, Father, we ask that uh, while he is in captivity, you would provide him opportunity to 
bear the light of your grace and your love to his captors. Um, We certainly pray for his physical healing and for his safety. We pray for his family and the members of his church. Um, Father, we pray specifically for Alexander, our brother in Christ right now. You see him. You know where he is. You know the circumstances um, in which he finds himself, and you are able to penetrate um, through every barrier right there into that cell. And so we ask, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would encourage him right now, even by our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to continue our conversation with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News in just a moment. You can find all of the articles and prayer resources for them at missionnews.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. All right, we're going to pivot our attention here to Iran. We're talking with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News, and there are um, people protesting in the streets of Iran. What What's going on, Ruth? Well, it seemed like this has been going in waves. Um, the authorities, the regime, imposed some massive price hikes a couple weeks ago on food and other vital goods. And uh, it was so severe that uh, folks got into the streets to protest what was going on. Uh, It seemed like things were kind of settling down uh, and the streets were starting to clear a little bit. And then you had a building collapse last week, which brought all of that anger and ire back to the surface again. And now there's accusations of corruption and all of these other things that are going on, a lack of enforcement. Um, on on the codes, the building codes that led to the collapse of this building and at least 34 people uh, who died in that collapse. So it doesn't look like this is going to settle down in the near future. So at this stage, you know, there there's a lot of anger uh, and frustration over the lack of change in Iran because they've had so many uh, waves of hopeful revolution uh, probably since uh, the beginning of the Arab Spring. And um, there have been, you know, hopes for uh, promised change and uh, some things that were, were done that um, may have been done to pacify the noisiest of the protesters, but nothing actually has changed, which leads to where we are today. Um, and, and the concern is that as this feels like it continues to spiral out of control, uh, the government may be looking for a scapegoat to uh, kind of bring order back into um, the streets, bring order back to the government and say, you know, we've got this under control. Usually what that happens when when the government looks for a scapegoat, especially in Iran, they're going to crack down on the religious minorities, which typically have been the Christians. Um, We spoke with the Middle East and North Africa Leadership Center just to get some perspective on this. And, you know, what they're saying is we're happy that uh, people are expressing their opinion over what's going on there. But who knows what this is going to lead to? Um, and and then they also express concern about um, how permanent change, good change, is going to be an uphill battle in Iran. At the same time, with all of the things that are going on with the the politics and things like that, they're also saying because of the pressure on the country, because of the sanction issues, because of all of the things that uh, cause misery in Iran, people are looking for answers. They are rejecting the old way of doing things. They are reject- rejecting uh, Shia Islam, 
and looking for truth in other places. And what they're finding is that they're going to the Christians to ask those questions. So what what we're hearing is that the church in Iran continues to grow exponentially. Um, as, as, as far as the size of the country goes, uh, the people who are coming to Christ through unconventional means are um, are is, is far outpacing any other country growth right now. So a few other headlines um, this morning, if you're listening, related to Iran. The United Nations um, has determined that Iran has achieved a sufficient um, amount of uranium enrichment to build an atomic bomb. Um, so that is out of, that's breaking news out of the national security arm of the United Nations. Last night, I don't really think this is a response, but it is certainly related. Last night, Israel um, put hundreds of fighter jets into the air over the Mediterranean. If you happen to have been in Israel and maybe saw what you thought was an air show, that was actually the Israeli Air Force. It's fighter jets, almost all of them in the air simultaneously simulating striking Iranian nuclear facilities. They uh, did long-range flights, aerial refueling, and striking distant targets. Those were the exercises or the drills over the Mediterranean in what they called a chariots of fire exercise simulating a wide-scale strike on Iran, including its nuclear facilities, which, again, the U.N. is announcing Iran now has enough uranium to build an atomic bomb. Um, I would say that those um, heighten my concern, Ruth, about what's happening in the Middle East. Absolutely. Everything is connected. Um, There is no simple story out of the Middle East. There's often no good guys and there's plenty of bad guys to choose from. Um, You know, so when you're we're talking with our partners and they're sharing these prayer needs, um, they are sharing from a perspective of a kingdom perspective, wide view. Um, not their personal safety. Uh, you know, sometimes they'll say, yeah, pray for our safety so that we can continue to do the work. But their big picture is we want to introduce Christ to all of these people who are extremists. We want Jesus to change their hearts. And the only way this is going to get fixed, the only way all of these issues, you know, Israel, Palestine, um, the all of the things that we're talking about now is going to get fixed is with a radical heart change that only comes from Jesus Christ. Um, And that seems like, you know, it's such a big, impossible ask, but that's what we are tasked to do as the followers of Christ, is to go and make disciples into the uttermost parts of the earth. Amen. So let's uh, pivot to that. Let's talk about Syria. Um, Syria appears to be making a geopolitical shift from Russia toward Iran. You've got a piece posted um, this morning at missionnews.org about Syria, not only weighing its geopolitical shifts, but the movement of God's spirit in Syria in much the same way that we see it uh, on the move in Iran. Talk about talk with us about that. I think that's the silver lining of this story. I mean, because we're talking about all the really big, heavy stuff and how complicated mm-hmm. the Middle East politics is and all of that kind of stuff. Just a brief uh, point of context here. The Assad's Uh, run Syria. So you have two brothers that are in charge of pretty much everything that's going on, whether that's good or bad or how they're running it. We'll just leave that uh, alone on the side. Bashir uh, al-Assad wants Russia to have control of Syria, and he's the guy who's holding the government. He's running the country as a president. His brother, Maher, is uh, in charge of um, the elite guard. And his brother wants to have Iran have control. So they have uh, two guys who are in power in Syria, and they want Russia and Iran to be in charge 
of what's going on there. Uh, obviously, neither neither of these countries are uh, in agreement with what is uh, how things are supposed to be done. Um, they both see the strategic uh, placement of the country and what they would be able to do if they were in charge. So that may be the next sticking point for things. Um, but very similar to what we were discussing with Iran, because of the things that are happening in that country, for the first time in a lifetime, Syria has had a deep penetration of the gospel into its 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 borders because of all of the things that are happening and people are starting to question things that they were always told these are just the way things are. You will always be, you know, a follower of Muhammad. You will always be blah, 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 because your identity is in Syria. And that now people are saying, but you're doing it wrong. You're doing it poorly. And uh, there has to be something else. And there are a lot of ministries that have been active in, in planting um, – uh, ministry points where the gospel can get in over the borders, whether it's broadcast or satellite TV or working through a church network that's coming in over the borders. These are all things that are being done to pivot uh, to get the gospel into Syria. And what we're seeing now is whole families are coming to faith in Christ. Uh, this is coming through our partner, Uncharted Ministries. And Tom Doyle is talking about the, the parallels between Syria's body of Christ and Iran's body of Christ growing at similar rates. Um, just imagine what God could do if he got hold of these two countries and he, he just brought forth a massive body of Christ followers whose hearts had been changed and what they could do in the Middle East. Um, it's, it's, it is a strategic point. And, and I don't wanna to use too many of the military terms, but this is kind of exciting to see what is happening, what God is doing through the crisis, um, and, and that it continues. I mean, I, I just had a, a friend of mine ask me, so tell me what's going on in Syria. We don't see any headlines anymore. And I'm, you know, they're, they're still going on. The war still is going on. And the question is, well, who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? And there isn't someone wearing a white hat. You have over 180 different groups that are fighting for control of the country. And you have the two brothers who are running the country fighting for control. So, the, you know, there's so little left of the of what's, uh, you know, there's like two dogs wrangling over a bone and there's no bone left. Um the, the situation is 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 deeper than that, um, but we can imagine what it could do if if God got a hold of the situation. Um, I know that sounds like kind of a simplistic answer to it, but imagine what God could do through these two countries if if the body of Christ would rise up together. Ruth, as always, um, you bring us important news and um, and you help us see it from not only a Christian worldview, but the view of Christians on the ground in all of these places. So thank you so much for the important work you do at Mission Network News and keeping us connected to fellow believers around the world. Thank you so much. Thank you. You guys can find the headlines we were discussing and a whole lot more at missionnews.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. All right, so lots of conversations going on about um, whether or not Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas, should be raised. That, you know, whether or not the building itself should be um, torn down and you know, and and replaced. And you know, and I would say that that is very, very likely to happen. 
Um, but I do think that it provokes an important conversation um, about the ways in which we try to get rid of the markers of trauma. Um, and if you were going to extend that conversation to all of the places in which individuals and families or groups have been traumatized, um, nearly every institutional uh, facility would need to be raised. I'm thinking here about the the challenges um, that are brought about by sexual sin perpetrated against individuals through institutions of so many kinds and varieties. I'm thinking about um, I'm, I'm thinking about prisons where people's rights have not been uh, where, pe- where people's rights have been violated. I'm thinking about schools. I'm thinking about um, churches, certainly. And so just say to yourself and and, and every house um, in every community where some horrible, awful thing has happened. So I just want us to linger there for a moment. Um, we can't tear it all down uh, in terms of the physical structures. And so how do we tend to the broken hearts and the wounds? How do we tend to the realities of people and their need for healing at the deepest of levels? I mean, you and I know the answer to that question, and the answer is Jesus. But how do we functionally do that? We're going to spend much of the next hour talking uh, specifically about that. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. we got another hour up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.